Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is one mic. Can we be real? I'm going to stretch the line and see. Now, if you step over the line, I'm going to say something about it. This is one mic. This is one mic, please. Okay, okay, it's on. Y'all know how we do it with one night. It's, I'm feeling so good tonight. This has been a night that I've been waiting for. Now, you got to understand, the NBA season has been incredible this year. Now, I want to give a shout-out to all our women, who, you, know, who, you know, our U.S. soccer women. Incredible victory. When we think about the World Cup, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. But we have to, you know, other than Jean Pierre, you know, doing the crazy stuff he did with them, some fireworks. We're going to talk about that. But when we think about the past couple of weeks, it's been like the NFL usually owns the offseason, but the NBA has owned the past three months in a way that we have never seen before. You know, we've got to talk about Golden State and what they've done, but the, but the postseason with the draft and the free agency is gone. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, I've always said this. You know, this is what makes RSG the best. You know, we want to wish uh, my boy Phil T. happy anniversary. He's out there doing his damn thing. We love that. And, and, and But what we do is we put together what I would say, the best comes to the NBA conversation. I'm right now. I will put – I got money in my wallet. I got my – you know, my wife probably might, might like it. But I got the best in the business, the game teacher. If you've been listening to any of the RSG stuff, you know right now nobody is in tune. You know, I argue with him a lot. Also, uh, when we do our our our, our, our texting back and forth, you know, we, we, we're gonna get into what I call the um, the uh, 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 Draymond Green phenomenon. You know, we got different things about, but this guy right now, I put him against anybody. You can, you can, anybody for ESPN, whatever. This is the best guy, and so we're gonna spend the next ninety minutes talking a lot of NBA talk. That's what this podcast is about. This is all NBA. 
tonight. I had to throw a shout out to our ladies, just a couple of people. But this is all NBA tonight. And tonight we got game changers. Before you know, you know how to do it with my mic. I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get my stuff. I gotta bless the mic. You know, how bless the mic tonight is, you know, Steph Curry. I thought about it. You know, as a guy who's been associated with U.S. Wisconsin, uh, and 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 game changer. We're talking about his brother Michael Flowers, who is one was one of the best centers I've seen in in, in in the Big Ten. Trying to defend this guy. He's one of the best in the country. Saw him perform. Saw Steph grow as a player. Saw his dad play. Um, saw Steve Kerr grow. You know, um, saw, you know, I got I to gotta say the Gold State Warriors did their thing. But LeBron James was matrix on this. I mean, for all y'all haters out there, and I can say me, I was as critical of them of the way he left Cleveland. And my criticism, you know, I mean, as an educator, is all about how he did his That's about him. You know, because I was one of the folks with a high school player. I already won a bet. And I knew he was going to have an average of about, I bet somebody he's going to average more than eight, what it was, I think it was like 17 points a game. But I just can't it. Kept betting me, I was like, you're going to lose your money. I knew when he when I saw him play in the Poly Pavilion against Daryl Strawberry's son, who was a great player with the Maryland. I knew this cat was at it, so I was always in his corner. But I was I was disappointed in how he how he let it out. Great season. The NBA should be on cloud nine. They should be happy about this. I'm excited about this um, and, and about where we're going. When I look at the free agency, it was incredible. And some decisions, we'll get deep in this for Game Changer. I mean, there's some landmark things. I mean, I think people want to understand some of the decisions that were made in this summer and, and, and how it affects sport and how it's tied to the larger context of what's happening around, you know, America in terms of how these cats are making decisions. It's incredible um, to really think about what's happening right now well, I think most people would put their money on people making different kinds of decisions. So this has been great. This is one mic. This is 90 minutes of just going in. And we're about to, to set it up to bring my guy, the game changer, who I say I put up against anybody, any NBA. Hell, he's good in a whole bunch of other sports. When it comes to NBA, you can't bring nobody up. Step up. Regular. Bouchard, we ain't worried about that. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Man, I'm excited. I've been texting back and forth with you. I just, I mean, I know how your mind works. I mean, I've known you for a long time. The things that you're going to do tonight, I'm excited about it. How do you feel? You know, man, it's 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 been uh, it's been a great time to be an NBA fan, and ultimately, that's what I am. Man. I'm just a fan of the game, and you know, I think about the game, I read about the game, I observe the game, and you know, I've been watching the NBA since I was seven years old, um, and it's something I'm passionate about. It's something I love, and so I love talking about it. I love having a space to to you know go back and forth with you and PhD about the game and 
and just bounce ideas off of you guys that I have about the game. So it's just, for me, it's all just fun, man. It's just a passion of mine. It's something I enjoy. So I'm excited to, you know, kind of have this time with so much going on to talk about what's going on in the league and, and talk to you and share some of my opinions and, you know, share with the people out there, with the listeners out there. So, now, what I want to say to folks, this is different than our, our mothership show. We have me, PhD, Game Changer. That's a different format. What I do with this, call me, I'm like Sherman. You know, I'm like, I'm throwing the alley oop. You know, I'm like, I'm just, I'm, I'm moving, I'm passing the ball and moving to the corner and just letting them operate. This is 90 minutes. When I bring Teron Briggs on, when I bring PhD on, when I bring the game changer on, when I bring Justin Page on, when we, this is for you to understand why they're great. It's less about me. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to put a bow on the NBA season. You know, I want game changers to kind of do that. Then we're going to spend time kind of talking about kind of, you know, both of us are educators. Like, see, most people who follow RSC, if you go to realsportsguys.com, you know, all this is brought to us by my boys from Resistance Digital Solution. You know, I got my I got my guy from Fresno County. I got on, uh, you know, I, I got I got I got my guys from, uh, who are uh, XL Academics. You know, I got all these cats who support us on these things that you hear about on other. But but tonight, you know, we're educators. And one of the things we do is, like, is, 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 you know, if you know anything about Game Changer, you got a background. We all had to work with who had, who had different degrees. We're about to give people a summer term grade. You know, some folks might have made a D's list. Some folks might be good academic standing. Some folks might be on probation. But some folks might have been dropped. <laughs> you know, and when you – you see, most people are higher education people. They understand what means dropped. Sometimes you got to take a year off. We're going to talk about which teams are in that area. We'll do some grading. You know game changers graded everybody. And then <clears throat> one of the things we're going to do is, is then we're going to spend some time talking about, based on what we understand we see, look at game changers, early understanding of what the 2015-2016 season looked like. That could be amazing. Like, you know, some of the early kind of rankings. What does some folks look like? How might he look at based on the decisions folks have made? And then we're going to let him drop the mic. We're let him do the final word. We're going to let him close it out. This is going to be some great stuff. So, game changer. We're going to start out. NBA season wrapped up. <coughs> Excuse me. Talk a little bit about the season and some of the things that you gained from that. Well, you know, this past NBA season, I think, you know, some of the major takeaways, you know, obviously LeBron going back home to Cleveland, um, the rise of the Golden State Warriors, the Atlanta Hawks had a spell during the season where they looked unbeatable. Um, So there were stories throughout the season. Uh, You know, the West was obviously, you know, gangbusters deep. Um, So there were stories like that throughout the season that really defined the season. Um, going into the playoffs, it was the focus was really on the Western Conference and trying to figure out who was going to come out. Um, I think with the injuries and the kind of way things broke down in the East, 
Um, it looked like it was going to be Cleveland's ball game to lose um, as far as taking the Eastern crown. And they did that. They they represented and took the Eastern crown. Um, and, and then you had the melee in the West where you had about three, four teams between the Clippers, the Grizzlies, the uh, Warriors, and the San Antonio Spurs who were the favorites going in. And, you know, outside of the Warriors, none of those teams made it to the conference finals. They wound up being the Warriors and the Rockets. So, you know, it was the West was really just a, a melee, Smash Brothers style. You know what I mean? Super Mario, Smash Brothers style melee, where it's just, you know, people are flying against the screen, and it's just crazy what's going on. But um, it made for amazing entertainment um, throughout. You know, during the playoffs, you had multiple storylines. You had the injuries, different players getting hurt from Kevin Love to – Chris Paul getting hurt for a little bit, Mike Conley, some key pieces getting injured throughout the playoffs. He had the, the hacker player strategy being criticized um, as it was being utilized in the playoffs and all the eyes of casual fans were on the NBA and how people felt about that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different storylines that were running through this season. Um, so I thought it was an amazing season. I, I enjoyed it a ton. Obviously, the playoffs is a big show when it comes to the NBA season. Um, you watch the season and get a better understanding of what's going to happen in the playoffs, um, and we definitely got that. Um, so, you know, the the finals was a great finals, highly entertaining finals. Um, you couldn't really ask for more. Maybe a game seven would have been nice, but the way things played out, it was all entertaining, man. And, and the NBA is in a great place right now. Will they challenge the NFL as the number one sports league in the United States, I doubt it, but they're, clo- they're, they're carving out their own space in the mind of the casual sports fan, which is all you can really ask, is that they have a rented spot that's theirs right now, you know, that they can stake their claim on the sports calendar for the casual sports fan. So when you think about it, I mean, and you and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, and if people who followed us early on in kind of our um, trajectory, so we're all pretty sick of the world. Him as a, you know, there's some things about him as a player, but we've got to psyche much deeper. But you – What's great, I think, I think what we try to do as real sports guys is, and I think part of this comes from our background in terms of our education because, I mean, we have a much more of a growth mindset framework than a fixed mindset. We know that people can grow. And we've gained an appreciation for LeBron. But can you talk a little bit about LeBron? I mean, the big story of, of the season was LeBron going home. And I know you've, you know, you've been on Twitter and, and we text back and forth. I mean, people could get <laughs> transcripts on our text. I think people would love it. But, like, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's to how we can create space for people to get inside. We have some changes. Yeah. We've all grown. I mean, a homer. He's living in Cleveland. But I think for both of us, I think we've grown with LeBron in – even though, like, you're a Chicago fan slash Milwaukee guy, I'm a Detroit guy, we can still appreciate LeBron's growth as a person, as an individual. Talk a little about how you view LeBron. Well, let's talk about the evolution, right? So you got, you know, 
I was similar to you. You know, I was kind of a wait. I, when LeBron was kind of being hyped, early 2000s, people were talking about this kid. And all I had to hear was his measurements, right? I heard his measurements as a high schooler. He's saying he's 6'8", 245. He plays guard. And at that point, I'm like, well, yeah, dude should look like a beast. He's going against high school kids. You know what I mean? Like, in high school, if a cat weighs 200 pounds, he's swole. You know what I mean? So you got a guy 240 who's six foot eight and running point. He should be buck. He should be beasting on dudes. You know, he should be bucking up out there. That should be what's going on. So I kind of held judgment. I reserved judgment on him. So I saw him play. Didn't get a chance to see him play till his first NBA game. After watching this first NBA game, they played on ESPN. They played the Sacramento Kings. After watching that game, I said, okay, this dude is different. He's 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 gonna be a great player. Everything everybody said, right on, right. So we fast forward. He's doing everything that everybody expected him to do in the NBA. We get to 2010, and he switches gears and goes to the Miami Heat. Now, I had an issue with it because of the execution of it, not because he left his team, but it's the way you leave your team. It's just like it's it's just like being a young man. You got to learn how to break up with somebody, and there's a certain way you do it and a certain way you don't, right? And so that's the issue I had with the, uh, you know, with the, with the whole decision. It was like a Facebook breakup, you know. That's just something you don't do, you know. You don't long distance breakup. You gotta do that face to face, you know. You don't do the whole, you know, Harlem Nights. Hey, go tell your mother I ain't coming home no more. Take it easy. You don't do that. <laughs> you know, you don't do that. So that violated man code for me. I gave him, I, you know, it bugged me for a minute, but ultimately, you let it go. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. I love it. Yeah, you know, ultimately, you let that go. You let that go. You keep it moving. So, you let it go. You keep it moving. And, you know, I watched this whole heat thing play out. You know what I mean? And they had they stumbled a little bit, but that was expected. Right, because you got three guys who have always been the focal point, and now all of a sudden they're playing with other people who also can be the focal point, and that's just hard to do from a basketball perspective. That's going to take some time to figure out, and it did. They they get to the finals that first year, and this is where, again, my criticism of LeBron kind of amped up a little bit, and it wasn't because he left Cleveland. It was because in that finals, he didn't play like the best player in the world. He hadn't played. He didn't play like he had come to terms with being the best dude on the planet, and they lost to a, a, a inferior Dallas Mavericks um, team roster. Not a team. They played better as a team, which is why they won. But they're an inferior roster, um, and I felt they lost because LeBron hadn't kind of t- turned that corner mentally, realizing that you know what, I'm the best player in the world, and if my team is going to go down, they're going to go through me. Fast forward through all that, they win the championships. He comes back to Cleveland. Everybody's feeling good about him, you know. At this point, you know, I widely acknowledge he's the greatest player in the world. Most, you know, we've talked about this over and over. He's creeped into my top five all time, right? He's creeped into my mm-hmm. top five players of all time because of his yeah. potential, because of the way he plays the game, because of what he brings to the table from a skill set perspective. And then you add into all of that this otherworldly athleticism that he has. We've never seen anything like it before. We just haven't. So I'm at a point where I'm just appreciating what this brother can do on the court. Um, And that's what it was about for me in his finals. I mean, this guy 
had a piecemeal roster, and he gave one of the better teams we've seen in the last 15 to 20 years all they can handle. I mean, we're talking about a Golden State Warriors team that was the best offensive team and the best defensive team throughout the entire season. Additionally, they won 67 games, which is three away from 70. Three games from 70. I think people don't realize how good that Golden State team was. You really talk about they won 67 games. That's three games from 70. You know, and 70 is that benchmark. So this was a great team, and he had a group of no-name guys giving them everything they could handle. And he's dropping triple-doubles on a nightly basis. Um, It was just unbelievable and phenomenal to watch. So that's where I am with LeBron, man. I'm just enjoying this brother trying to watch him do his thing while I can and be able to say I watched one of the all-time greats do it, you know. Uh, and that was just that, – that's that's where I'm living. That's the room I'm living in in my house right now as far as LeBron goes is just enjoy it, you know. Um, but he was a dominant force. He had to play a different way, and he did. You know, he had to take more shots. He had to run the offense through him maybe more than he wants to. He had to play a different brand of the ball, brand of basketball than I think he necessarily usually does. And he did it because that's what needed to happen for them to win. And that is the difference between this LeBron and the LeBron that was in the finals for the first time with the Miami Heat, is that he didn't adjust to the moment and say, you know what, if we're going down, I'm going down swinging, I'm, un- I'm emptying the clip, I'm leaving it all out there, I'm throwing a kitchen sink at him. And they're going to go down saying, yo, we won, but that dude's the best player in the world. And he did that against Golden State, you know, and I respect him for it. So that's why I'm at on LeBron, man. Right now it's all love. And, and I, I think, I mean, I love what you do. And I, I think this is one of the challenges when we're talking about, you know, players and, and you know, one of my big things, and you know I've been pushing this, is kind of thing about, developmental framework. People grow. People get older, they get families, and they change. And, you know, we, we particularly with someone like LeBron, we've been introduced to them when they were like 16 years old, 17 years old, as if they're caught in that framework and they're going to grow. And what I appreciate, I mean, I hope people appreciate and, and not criticize us with this is that um, we appreciate the growth. And our criticism is when people are seeking that growth. And I appreciate that. But do you know? I mean, this is crazy, man. Now, there there has been an announcement, which I'll hit later on when we get to free agency, about the Cavaliers. Somebody just came back to the future. So we're going to hit that one in a minute. But when you think about so think about what you said about LeBron. You know, a lot of things that we've been talking about with David Blatt, I think it's kind of been blown out of proportion in some instances um, because of what you just said about LeBron. And I think it's been hard for people to get their heads around this concept of athletes having this much influence in a way that NFL quarterbacks do, right? It's hard for them to kind of understand how someone like LeBron 
compared to a Peyton Manning. But when you heard all the rhetoric around David Black, I mean, how how did you how did you react to that? So you know, again, my criticism of LeBron has always been um, around where I felt like he needed to grow to kind of continue to take those next steps to becoming to harness in all his gifts. You know, where some people were just kind of like just enjoy it. I want to see him take that next step because I think he can. And I want to see, for me, I want to see people max out. I want to see people reach their full potential. And if I see a flaw or something, that's going to bother me in in, in that particular person that is inhibiting them from maxing out. If I just see where they can have that growth, I'm going to point it out. And that's that kind of gets back to that growth mindset that we have. We're always looking to see where people can grow, right? His relationship with David Black is the same type of deal. They have to find that growth, right? They have to grow together. And LeBron is a basketball genius. David Blatt is a very good coach. Um, but I really can't see no producer coming into the studio and telling Stevie Wonder how to sing a song. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you, when you have genius, you have to let genius be genius. And so, you know, there may and, and LeBron and Blatt are getting to know each other, right? So you have, you know, the producer who's coming in and work with Stevie for the first time, and Stevie's like, I'm Stevie Wonder. Just back up, let me do my thing, and we're going to have a nice record when we're done. Well, the producer was like, I was brought in to produce the record, so I need to give my input. That's what they're paying me to do, so I'm going to do my job. I'm a private person as well. And that's what you got with Black and LeBron. Is Black was brought in to coach the team, but LeBron is a basketball genius. And so, you know, they're going to butt heads until they figure out how to fill in the blanks for each other. And that's what any good relationship does. So let me, I mean, if people don't know about this, I mean, one of the things people got to understand, we have like a million youth athletes who play, let's say, basketball annually. Only like like around 3% actually play college sports at all levels, Division One to Division Three, particularly basketball. And you're one of those guys who play at a league level. So... I mean, that's why I respect your opinion because very few people where you are. And one of the things I – my biggest criticism on LeBron in this situation was it had nothing to do with LeBron. In the NBA, and I realize this working in a large university where being a, a leader in a large university is a lot like being an NBA coach, is that it's less about the star and it's more about the others. And where I had the biggest problem actually was not about LeBron. Like Brian, you know LeBron know LeBron know what he's talking about. It's it's James Jones thinking he LeBron. It's it's right. all the others who think they ain't gotta listen. And to me, yeah. what I got on LeBron about is that your undermining Le, uh, of Black is less about you. What, what needs to be happening is everybody else needs to know that he controls their playing time. And that's what he had in Miami, where it was clear that whether it was Spostra or whether it was Riley combination, that all the others had fear because they all knew they could be playing in Sacramento anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? And to me, that's the piece I think LeBron is missing about Black, is that if he really supports Black, it's less about him. It's more about the others. There's no reason why James Jones should be walking around like he got to listen to coach. There's no reason. Right. You, you and I know that. Right. Yes, and I think that's where they got it. and that's where LeBron and Black have to fill in each other's blanks, right? 
So That's LeBron right. has to figure out how to how to get to Black and give his opinion, but at the same time not undermine him in front of his teammates who allow Black the space to be the coach, right? But then Black has yeah. to figure out – they have to figure out a mechanism of communication which allows LeBron to have his input but not undermine Black's authority. And that's what they haven't figured out yet. And that's what they, what yeah. they have to work towards ultimately is figuring out how to find that balance, two of them, and filling in those blanks. That's what I mean by filling in the blanks is figuring out how yes. can they work together you know, so that Black can do his job. And it, it happened in Miami. You know, LeBron and Spoke yeah. didn't get along right away in Miami. Um, there were lots of reports about tension and everything. But in the end, once they found how to fill in each other's gaps and built that relationship with one another and that trust, it was a great working relationship. And, again, you probably understand this working in a, a Big Ten, um, top ten, high-level public research university. You know, when you're dealing with, um, geniuses, very intelligent people yes. in their particular field, they can have some idiosyncrasies and they can be yes. somewhat fickle <laughs> and they can yeah. be kind of hard to hard to work with um, until you figure out how to manage and how to fit yourself into their process, right? And yeah. that's what Black has to do. Like creative people have a certain process. Right, yeah. the way in which they go about creating and doing their thing, and Black has to figure out how to fit into LeBron's process, and LeBron has to figure out how to, you know, work empower Black. Like he has to empower Black because the other guys are. Oh, you're right. They're looking at that, and they're looking at that dynamic. So I, I say, give it time. You know, people are judging this relationship of two guys who met each other, you know, a couple months ago, and are yeah. thrust into this highly intense, highly competitive situation, and are figuring out how to compete together. It's a process, man. It's just a process. I, I think you hit it right on the head. Because if you think about the timeline, I mean, Black took the job thinking he was going to coach you know, all these young cats. And right. they didn't have a ramp up. Like, they didn't have a coming into the offseason knowing they're both going to be in the same space. And this is the first time. You know, I have a rule of three iterations. And I think you learn, when people plan, you learn a lot between the first iteration and the second iteration. There's a lot you learn. And I think they they will get better between this iteration they just finished and the next season based on all that. All the things you just said, they can work on, and they can close the gap because their future depends on each other, right? And I think, you know, Black can win. I mean, think about it. You, you and I know this. Winning is winning. You know, the, people forget that, that, that Jackson won CBA championships. And the reason why they thought they could put him in the ball is because he he knew how to win. So Jackson is no different than Black was. But actually, Black was like the uh, Black was like the Boston Celtics of the European League, right? I mean, he was red right. all back, right? And and if he understands what to win, he's just trying to apply those skills to the NBA. So he's smart. You don't win that many games at any level if you don't know how to coach. But but yes. Dealing with the shock of the NBA, he knows the tactical stuff. You don't win that many games. So I think people forget, you know, we think about somebody like Jackson, that, that you know, part of the rationale putting him as a head coach is that he won as a CBA coach. You know, he, he demonstrated that he could win, right? And that's all they had to hang on. And I think Black has similarity to that. 
But it's hard when you get thrown in this kind of thing. I think you get it right on the head is is to really think about this, you know, filling the, I love the way you put it, filling in those some of those some of those some of those gaps. So when you think about the NBA finals, there's a lot of talk about Iggy, Iggy Bell. You know, he's a he's an Illinois guy. I know you you, you were born in Illinois, got a you know, affinity for Illinois. You know, Iggy has really worked hard to be where he's supposed to be. He got the MVP. Do you think a lot of people talk about Steph being the MVP? We think about the Gold State Warriors in the finals. Do you think what do you say about Steph in the finals and do you think he should have been the MVP? Um, I think Steph obviously should have been the MVP. If you take anybody off that team, um other than Steph, they might still win. They might still win. If you take Steph off that team, they're not even getting close to winning. And yes, he struggled a little bit early, but Steph Curry should have been an MVP. Um, that also, to me, speaks to the power of LeBron James, though. For the last two years, the dude that has kind of done a good job of guarding LeBron, you know what I'm saying? Nobody shuts LeBron down. LeBron almost averaged a triple double, but the dude that kind of almost did a little bit of a good job on LeBron gets the MVP award. You know, last year was Kawhi Leonard. This year was uh, Andre Iguodala. That's the power of LeBron. You know, that's what LeBron is bringing to the table. So yeah, Steph Curry should have got it. He was the uh, the straw that stirred Golden State's drink. Um, once he started playing well, they started winning. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, yes, Iguodala was a key part of the strategy, but when Curry was hitting shots, they had a chance to win games, and it was simple as that. Um, so Curry should have been the MVP. I understand why they gave it to Eagle Dollar, but I would have voted for Curry. When you think about Steve Kerr, I mean, you, you're a Chicago guy in in a sense that you have a lot of uh, affinity to Chicago. Steve Kerr was an ultimate role player. Anybody who had a chance to see him play at Arizona, the guy could play. You know, he went to San Antonio. I mean, when he, he went to uh, – um, Phoenix, GM, you know, did some different things. Now he's coaching. Now you and I got a lot. We talked a lot about, you know, Jackson, and we got a lot of opinions. I mean, I got opinions. I would say I ain't gonna put it in your mouth. Opinions about how Jackson was handled, um, and and I agree that he should be. If this was any evidence, this is evidence about his ability to build a team. So anybody who needs a coach, they should be talking uh, about Jackson being a coach. But Steve Kerr, I didn't want to take anything about Steve Kerr because Steve Kerr made he got guys to sacrifice, which is the hardest thing to do in the NBA, is to get these millionaires to care about winning more than their money in their brand. He was able to do it. What's your assessment of Steve Kerr, and where do you think where do you see him going um, based on what you observed of him? You know, I think you know, and this it, this goes back to kind of our conversation about Black a little bit. Um, when we talk about David Black, we talk about a guy who got a roster and at the end of last season that looked one way. He got a job based upon how he was going to work with that group of guys, and then that whole roster got got turned upside down, topsy-turvy. He gets some new pieces, and then people criticize him all season because he doesn't quite know how to effectively integrate a Kevin. Well, he wasn't uh, Kevin Love and LeBron and – he wasn't planning on coaching those dudes. So when he came to the interview with his playbook and the sets that he was going to run, he wasn't running those sets for the power forward because the power forward was Tristan Thompson at the time. 
You know what I mean? And he wasn't he wasn't having <laughs> a small forward run point because the small forward uh, it was Alonzo G or somebody like that, or might have been Andrew Wiggins. You know, so that's one piece. What Kurt had was he had an entire offseason to assess his team, look at his roster, meet with players, and develop a vision and communicate that vision to his players. And he got guys to buy into that vision. Now, the next step will be how do you coach now that everybody's profile is raised a little bit? Like, people know Draymond Green now. He's a household name. Harrison Barnes, people know him now. People know Andre Iguodala. He was the finals MVP. Does he still want to come off the bench? How do you get these guys to refocus and reinvest in that same vision for another run now that they've had that thirst quenched, you know, they've had that hunger satisfied <laughs> of being able to yes. sit from the Gold Cup? You know, how do you get them to, to get after it again? That's where Kerr is going to have to prove whether or not he truly is a championship coach because a championship coach can get you to win it once and get you to win it again. That's where you really see those dynastic coaches. You know, a dynastic coach can not only get there once, but he can get the same group of guys to reinvest and come back. That's special from a coaching perspective because that's what a lot of coaching is, is getting guys to buy into a vision, a collective vision, and creating that sense of team. And a lot of coaches fail in that fundamental aspect of coaching. They get caught up in the X's and O's and forget. Your number one job is to create a team. And if the guys and the girls don't get along, you're failing. You know, that's your fault. If the kids, if the chemistry is poor, that's your fault. Your job as coach is to create a team. And creating a team means you coalesce around a vision. And that's what Kerr has to do. Now, the special coaches, the good coaches can get you to chase a championship. Right, they can get you. They can sell you on chasing the championship. The great coaches can get you to chase it twice, three times after you've had it already once. They can, they can t- push the right button, twist the right knobs to keep you from getting satisfied, to keep you hungry. That's a special coach. So we'll see if Kerr has that in his toolkit. That'll be a test. You know, that'll be the next. Again, I'm not necessarily passing judgment. That's what I need to see next to kind of see his growth and where he's going. You know what I'm saying? Well, what's great about that? I mean, you know, we watched. If you had a chance to watch Clutch City when they won the first championship, and I love Rudy T. Man, he's from Ham, trying to make Michigan. This cat grind that Houston team, and I, I love to see that Houston team really battle a Bulls team. I mean, I, I think that would have been an ultimate showdown. But you notice when they won the first championship, they all, you know, everybody's on Rap City. You know what I'm saying? You, 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 mm-hmm. you want, you know. You you are, you get to go to all the meetings, right? You had all the events. Right. You had BT awards. You know you had SB. You know you getting deals. You get you get you getting comped, right? And you're right. You know how do you get them to refocus? And to me, that is I mean you hit it right on the head. That is the ultimate challenge for a coach. And you know I think that's where he's going to pull from his experience with Phil and Popovich to really understand right. how do you get them refocused. And some of it is trading the cat, cutting the cat. You know what I'm saying? Some of it is just doing yeah. some dirty, down, dope, you know what I'm saying, things that you don't want to do, but they got the flexibility to do. You know, they got the flexibility right. Bringing in do. guys who weren't there. You yeah. bring in guys who weren't there who are hungry about winning. I mean, I think that's when, you know, as we get the free agency talk about San Antonio, you know, I think they, they, they got down there. Well, we're about to move yeah. into that really critical hour. And this is the part that I really love because, you know, we've been going back and forth on text. 
in this free agency season, I think when we look back on this in five years, and you and I were talking about this off the air, offline, you know, and, 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 and if you if you listen to real sports guys, we do a lot. We we talk about the intersection between the what's happening outside of sports and sports. We're really big in that, and you know, a lot of you really listen hard to sports radio, and you know when you talk about um, the money that people are and how they make decisions and things like that, a lot of times it gets contextualized in terms of athletes not value winning. And NBA has been really – when you hear people on talk show radio or talk radio talk about NBA players taking the money and run, you cannot say that about this NBA uh, free agency. When, when, when we're talking about record number about a money – being available in 216, 217, as we go with TV contracts available, you think that people are going to take these deals where they have to opt out and people are taking security and they're focusing on winning. You know, game changer, I want to really get you, because I know you, you're the kind of cat who thinks about this stuff and really understands the meaning of it. Give me your sense yeah. of what you what you understand about this. I mean, this is, I don't think people are understanding how these young cats are making decisions. And and, and, and and I would even back it off to people like LeBron and Wade and some of these cats who have been really placing a stock in different places. I think they're, 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 they're seeing what LeBron is doing. They're seeing what these other people are doing, and they're making some different decisions. Talk to me a little about what you, what you see in this broader understanding of free agency. So, you know, traditionally, you know, people have had the assumption that these young brothers are chasing money, and it's all about the money, and all they care about is the money. Um, And I think the money is still very important. But I think people have also, again, this goes to that dehumanization of of the black male, right? And, you know, like they're human beings, right? They have families. So being able to be in the same place for an extended period of time when you have young kids is very important. Right, your kids go to school. You want your kids to be in the right kind of school. You want your kids to be in certain schools. You don't want them to keep switching schools and keep switching neighborhoods. You don't want your wife to have to uproot her life. And so those are things that guys are thinking about. And those are things I think players have always thought about. But that's not the narrative that follows the players. And I think you're seeing that where guys aren't necessarily chasing the money because there are other things that are are being prioritized beyond the money. The money is important, but family. One, guys are also understanding the finality of their career. You know, one injury, you could be on a one-year contract, get hurt, and it's a wrap. You know, you're not that money that you were going to get is not there. You know, two in the hand, or one in the hand is worth is worth more than two in the bush. You know what I mean? That old proverb. You know, and so why am I chasing this ghost contract when I have a very lucrative contract in front of me? And it also comes back to this, at some point, Enough money is enough money. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you when you're looking at some of the numbers that have been thrown around for guys, mm-hmm. enough money is enough money. What what I mean, again, how greedy do I need to be? How how much money do I need to have until I, I feel like I've I've found my worth? And I think guys are are being able to you know, guys who may not have been able to get max contracts are getting max contracts. Um and when you can get that amount of money and that amount of security at the same time, you take it. 
and any other any other person would take it, you know. But I think it comes back to that whole concept of, you know, there are bigger things than the money, and even though we tend to um, simplify and reduce the players to, you know, running, jumping, you know, cattle, they are human beings, and they are smart, and they want to be successful and good at their profession, and they are professionals. And as such, put themselves in an optimal situation to experience success. Another piece that's changed is the, the NBA is a global game. You know, I'm watching yeah. NBA Summer League right now. You know, I can watch, you know, the Utah Jazz or whoever. You got the NBA ticket. You can watch whoever you want to watch. So everybody has equal access. And that's what the new CBA was all about, right? The new C- the yeah. whole purpose of the new CBA was to create this environment where the Milwaukee's and the San Antonio's could compete with the Knicks and the Lakers. That's what we were trying to create with that new CBA, and that's what effectively has been created, where you have guys really looking at the situation rather than saying, I need to be on this coast, I need to be on that coast, I need to be in this major market, I need to be, there, be, be in that major market. They can be anywhere and understand that they can market themselves globally. Um, so that, that, that's the game-changing situation right there, is that everybody's on a level playing field with the money. So then it does come down to, what situation is going to be better? Am I going to be more happy losing or am I going to be more happy winning? You know, as a coach, I tell yeah. you this all the time. You know what I mean? The game itself should be fun, and it's not always about winning. But even when I played well and lost and felt like, you know what, we lost, that was fun. It was fun to be a part of that. It was a great game. It was highly competitive. It was well played, and it was good. It was It was fun to be a part of that. It would have been more fun to win it, though, right? Winning is always more fun. You know what I mean? When it never made the situation worse. You know, so when guys look to win, if you can get the money and win, again, when it never made the situation worse. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so if you can get – because you're going to get a max – so that's the thing. Guys are going to get max contracts anyway in the market that exists. So they understand that. So it's not about the money. It's about what's going to make the money better. And that's winning. And so, okay, so we'll get the money and I get the win. Well, who's going to say no to that? You know? Mm-hmm. And so that's the changing market. Next year is going to be even more interesting because, again, everybody's getting a $20 million bump in the cap. So everybody's getting room for another max guy. So, you know, San Antonio is going to have room for an additional max player. Cleveland's going to have room for additional max players. Oklahoma yes. City's going to have room for an additional max player. All of these great teams are going to have room to max out and get another guy. So then you're going to see this happen all over again next year where guys are going to say, I can get max money from anybody so I don't have to go to a losing team to get the money. I can go to a winning team and still get my money. So I'm going to go to a winning team. So I think ultimately you're getting to see play out what would have played out, I think, in the past, is that in the past guys have chosen – to go places where they would have maxed out their value that may have been lesser on-court situations, where now when everything is equal and I can get the same kind of money from anybody, I'm going to pick the better team. And that's where guys' true feelings are showing, is that winning is a higher priority than the money if the money is equal. So, hey, man, and I'm going to tell you right now, and I know you coach high school basketball. I mean, you invest in this. You know, and I've worked with you when you were a young cat coming up. And I'm already saying, shoot, if somebody wants to really invest in a, a 
future GM, you a cat I would put some money behind. <laughs> and, and, and the Knicks and the Lakers. Wow. Hear what you yeah. said. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you and I grew up in a time where if the Knicks had any kind of great leadership, the Lakers had any kind of great leadership, the Celtics had any kind of leadership. There are certain teams on these coasts. If they had good management, good GMs, good coaches, they was going to be in. But given what you yeah. said, they have come out dry. Now, I, you, you and I talked about this. If, they, if it wasn't all the hyperbole about them being in New York and, and L.A., I would say they made some solid moves for an organization yep. that's trying to make moves. Like if they were Oklahoma if they were Memphis, if they were the Bucks, the moves they made, everybody would be like, man, those are great moves. They would get like B pluses, but they L.A. and New York. What's they in game? Is like I told you, in the, I said, is it a light at the end of the tunnel, or is it a new day train that's running right into them? Like, what do you do if you in those organizations? How do you come back? Yeah, so there is a light at the end of this tunnel, right? And there is an end game for these organizations. What they have to understand is that. Again, I think there's a mythology around the Knicks and the Lakers that they have been historically these great free agent attractions. Like, what great free agents in their prime have the Knicks ever attracted? <laughs> I'll wait. I'm with you. I'm with they you. They don't have I'm a track like, record like, of doing I know, that. I don't know where the narrative came from. No, they don't. Exactly. You look at the Lakers. What great free agent in their prime in the last 20 years have the Lakers attracted? Shaq. And that's it. Like, they had, they traded for Gasol. They traded for Odom. They drafted Kobe. They drafted Magic. They drafted Worthy. You know what I mean? Like, they drafted they all those players they that they had. They got at the end of his career. They got right, they Malone, got at, the end of his Malone career. at the end of their, the end of their careers, and that didn't work. You know? They drafted Bynum. You know, anybody that's been worth their salt, they either traded for or drafted. So this whole narrative that the Lakers were going to get a great free agent because that's the Laker way, or the Knicks were going to sign some great free agent, because they've done that. Both of those teams have only done well when they've drafted well. And they've used those drafts to find some to make some solid trades. But neither of those teams have has ever, ever been a team that has been a free agent destination. It just hasn't worked that way. Not for prime in the in the peak of their powers guys. It has just never worked out in that way. So this whole myth has been created by the media that these teams, the Knicks and the Lakers, are somehow free agent destinations, and because free agents aren't going there, that's a problem. What the Knicks and Lakers need to sit back and do is invest in themselves, invest in building from within, invest in drafting players and finding players. That's what the San Antonio Spurs have done time and time again. When you do that and you have a core of guys who are successful, then people want to come play with those guys. You know what I mean? That's what the Spurs have done. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge is really the first big-name free agent San Antonio has gotten, you know, and they're getting him at a time where they're trying to, on the fly, reconstruct a new big three, which they have two-thirds of now in Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard. You know, the next piece comes next summer when they have room for another max guy, right? And then they're going to be good for the next 10 to 15 years after that. (laughs) Yeah. But what I have actually been – happy with the, what the Knicks and Lakers have done, and their fan bases may not be happy, is that they've taken a moment, they've taken a step back, 
and they have to view this as a long process. They can't get caught up in, well, we're the Knicks, we're the Lakers, we need to get this, we need to lure this free agent, we need to lure that free agent. You need to get a good team first. How about that? <laughs> you know, because they're operating under this paradigm that they can be terrible and somebody's just going to come in and save them because they're the Lakers, or somebody's just going to come and save them because they're the Knicks. And if they haven't looked at the landscape, guys aren't doing that. You have to have some pieces for guys to play with. You have to have some some people that pe- guys want to be around to be successful. You know, and they're doing that. They're they're signing guys on short term deals to give themselves some flexibility, put themselves back in a position to be competitive. You know, the Knicks getting Aaron Aflalo, Robin Lopez are those sexy picks, uh, sexy uh, sexy signings? No, they're gonna be solid players though. They're going to give themselves a chance to possibly compete for AT, which is fine because they don't have a draft pick for the next 15 years. <laughs> yeah. So they might as well try and make the playoffs and become competitive, and that's how you lure free agents. It's to show that you can compete and that that guy coming in is going to actually put you in contention. But if you're winning 15 games, 17 games, nobody's signing up to be in that spotlight under that pressure and possibly win 30 games. Look at how it's working out for Carmelo. You know, Carmelo's going into that situation, and it's totally killed his value and his perception and his brand. It's totally destroyed his brand as one of the elite players in the league because everybody's like, well, you're so elite, but your team won 20 games last year. How elite is that? You know? And nobody wants to go to that on one of these losing teams. So I think they're doing the right things now. I think they've dug themselves a hole by giving away so many draft picks previously. Um, because I think that's how – honestly, I think that's the best way to build a team. And, you know, when we talk about the – when we get to talking about the draft, I'll really kind of shed some light on, on some of the things, some of the difference between the good teams who draft and the bad teams who draft. And, you know, I was watching the draft. I don't have any hair on my head anymore. But I was, if I did, I would have pulled it all out watching the draft because there were certain things that happened that it's like this is why this team is bad because you get into the situation constantly and you're drafting the same – type of player, the same. You're doing the same things over and over and over. And the good teams, they get in the lottery. They went on the bad teams to do their thing, and then they wind up with a, be- with a great player like Miami did with Justice Winslow. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But I think the Knicks and the Lakers are taking a much better approach. They're taking it slow. That's what you need to do. There's no quick fixes in this league. And, and, and you know, I like the way – what I don't know, so – the two teams are different, right? The way they're constructed, what motivates Dolan? You know, in some ways you can argue that um, Phil takes a lot of heat off of him. He's all about the money. But on the West Coast with Jenny, it almost feels like a godfather 17, right? It's like I feel like her. she's going to put her brother in the car, like he's going to the airport, but he ain't really going to the airport. Do you think she's going to let him finish up? Or is he going to get a, a ride? You know, you know that ride in Godfather. Yeah. Where he yeah. got in the car, yeah. and then the, the guy behind him was like, <laughs> had, a little, had a little bag or whatever, going to do what he's going to do to, to get him. Like, do you think they're going to let him finish it, even though the moves he made? I mean, what do you think about what's going to happen with the management situation there? I'm not sure what's going to happen with the management situation. This is what I'll say from the way, way, way outside looking in, um, is that, you know, I don't know if Bus has been that bad. You dig? Like, I don't know if Bus yeah. has been necessarily a problem. 
I think it's a combination of a of a perfect storm. You have Bus, who isn't, um, who doesn't have a great track record of equity built up amongst uh, folks on the inside in the league, and then you have you have you know Kobe, and you have these two characters who I don't know if people are interested in dealing with ultimately. Mm. When it boils down to it, I don't know if the the drama that you have to deal with going to L.A. is worth the potential rewards from dealing with Buss, dealing with Kobe. I think before the Lakers really get back on track, Kobe's gonna have to he's gonna have to slide out of the picture. I think he's gonna have to yeah, slide I, out I of the feel, picture. Yeah, I feel I feel like he's, he's having more of an impact. With it, Lamarcus Aldridge kind of still the deal for him because Lamarcus Aldridge is kind of like that cat that everybody kind of likes. Right. And when he said that, that changed the dynamics. Is that what you feeling? Yeah, yeah. I think Kobe's gonna have to back off. He's going. He's too much of an overbearing personality. Um, and again, guys are thinking, okay, so I'm going into the situation. Management is a little shaky. You know, they gave Aldridge the presentation talking about brand and all this other stuff. And then talk nothing about what's going to happen on the court. Well, um, I'm a basketball player, <laughs> so what we're going to do is start playing basketball. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got that that kind of fugazi kind of attitude with the uh, you know that kind of you know pyrite fool's gold attitude with the ownership, and then you got Kobe who's sitting there like you know he's going to do his thing no matter what. And so you know, is that a winning brand of basketball, and is that something they're going to sign up for? A lot of guys are like, ah, I can do it without the headache. The money, I can get the money wherever. You guys aren't guaranteeing me a championship, so why do I want to come here? So I think I, I really think Kobe's going to have to slide out. Um, he's going to have to call it quits. And they need to be looking at Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, as the core foundation of what the Lakers will be yes, in the sir. future. And that's what's going to attract the next great free agent or the next big trade to L.A. is – you know, what D'Angelo Russell becomes and what Julius Randle becomes, not Kobe. You know, that ship has sailed, and, you know, they need to understand that, you know. Well, and I think – And, I, and I, I'm, I'm getting real crazy on this. Think about you and I. I think you and I might have pulled this. We might have tried this. We might have – we might have sacrificed Aldridge to prove a point to Kobe, Right? We want to put him right. in the future, and if you can't close the deal as a way to make a point, do you think that might have been a part of the strategy? Because it was obvious that Kobe, if Kobe had reacted with Aldrich when, when he was trying to get a sense of how they would work together in a different way, I think Aldrich would be a Laker. But when he came with the Paul Gasol kind of thing, for what's reported, I think that had more to do with Aldrich not like not doing it, then even I mean I think everybody made a big deal about the branding and everything else, but I think it had more to do with Kobe's reaction to him in the space. Would you argue? Would you would you support that? And do you think? That, I think we we you and I might have been Machiavellian with we want to put him in a situation to get him to understand that you in the way, right? Right? You know, right. you in the way. So if you're going to be the dog, how are you going to help us win if you can't sell? Right? 
And exactly. Do you sense that? Because he, I mean, you got to put as much blame on Kobe on this one. I mean, Aldridge, I think, changed the game. He can make a, Kobe can talk a lot about Howard. Kobe can talk a lot about other free agents. But Aldridge doesn't have a reputation of a guy, and based on his decision to go to San Antonio, reinforces the fact that he wanted to win. I think that hurts exactly. Kobe more than and, anybody else. And it, I think it also reinforces he wanted a structure of of great teammates. He wanted a yeah. certain kind of culture. And that's the that's what the Lakers got to look at is what kind of culture do we have? Right now we have yeah. a culture that's about Kobe. Yeah. And their culture is about Kobe. You know, they gave Kobe yeah. that big contract. You know what I'm saying? And that's what this is all about for them. You know, it's about Kobe. And Kobe has too much input into that organization. He has too much say in what goes on in that organization. So, like, that's that's what I think. That, ultimately, that's what Aldridge chose. And I agree with you. Maybe there was some Machiavellian kind of tactics at play. But in the end, Kobe has too much power. And I think guys come in and they see that. And they see yeah. he has too much power and too much say over what goes on. And that's not – and it's not successful. You know, if Kobe's winning yeah. championships doing that, you know, I think guys are happy to go play with LeBron given the power he has in that organization because it's working. But Kobe ain't won nothing in a minute and since, since 2009. So – you know, guys are like, eh, when the last time you won, I was in high school. Yeah. And they're like, you know, if if, if D-Wade can give up power, why can't you? LeBron. Right. LeBron is not about, not against giving up some, the kind of things that these guys want. LeBron ain't against that. So I think that's what's pushing him up against this is that, and Duncan's not against it. So you ain't got a higher stature than Duncan. I think this hurts right. big time. It's a bad teammate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you ultimately, he's just, he he's just come, not a fun guy to be, be be around. Yeah. He can't come out on Twitter on all just decisions to go to San Antonio. Like, he can yeah. come out against Howard decided to go to Houston. You can't come out on all just to go to San Antonio. You just can't. Right. It's a better organization, a better coach, yeah. better teammates, chance to win. It's just a better setup. You know, he's got a yeah. young superstar already in tow in Kawhi Leonard who's ready to rock. He's not a couple years from developing. He's ready to be what he needs to be. You know, you got veterans in, in Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan who are already in the mix, and you know they're going to keep attracting free agents because they have a great culture. They have a culture of selflessness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what the Lakers don't have. They have a culture of yeah. Kobe. You know, Kobe defines the culture there. So, I think that's the major well, drawback. That's the major turn off to LA. Well, I I'm gonna give you a little bit of sense. I ain't gonna get too deep into this. But we've been having this debate because this whole thing was about, you know, the max player, the definition of the max player. Yes. And I wanted to allow you some space to define you know where I fit. I have a different definition of max player. But Talk about why you struggle with this this current new day definition of max player. And Draymond has kind of been our test case, but but I think you have a different view of what the max player is. Talk a little bit about that. So yes, so like 
I think it kind of got a little convoluted in the whole conversation. Like, I don't yeah. have a – I think Draymond Green in today's context is a max player, right, because he was going to get a max contract because of the current climate with, of salary structure. So I'm not talking about a max player in the sense of how much money you make. I'm talking about a max player in the sense of your impact on the, on on-court impact, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about, a max player. Like a player who has the impact on the game, and because of that impact, they deserve to be paid one of the highest-paid players in the league. That's a max player to me. A max player is a guy who, if you are creating a big three, he's the one guy on the big three who gets the big piece of chicken, right? That's the max player. So when the Miami Heat were together, you know, you could say they had two max players. Because I think when D-Wade was healthy and a younger D-Wade and uh, and LeBron – you could get both of those guys a big piece of chicken and you'd have been cool with whoever had it. You know, they could have split it. That was you had two max players. You know, you think about Boston's big three. You might have said, you know, KG, when he was when he was still young and spry, when he first got there, he was the, the guy who stirred that drink. Because if you take him off that squad, that's a good team, but they ain't winning the championship. You know, with Ray, and they're not winning the championship with just Ray and Paul. They were, that wasn't going to happen, you know. So, to me, you go to you go to San Antonio. You go back 10 years. They're big three, Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan. You take Duncan off that team, they're not winning the championship. He's the, he's the max player in that particular situation. So, to me, a max player is a guy who, in a vacuum, you take them off of one team, you put them on another team, that other team, regardless of who's around them, immediately becomes – a playoff team or a contender. That to me is a max player. And at any given time, there's three to four max players in the league, period. You know, that's what I view as a max player. So when people are talking about Draymond Green as a max player, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, he's going to get max money, but he's not a guy who you can just send somewhere and he's going to all of a sudden become a star, you know. And that's what I look at when I look at a DeAndre Jordan. Right, I put him in that category. In the context of the Los Angeles Clippers, DeAndre Jordan is a very good and valuable basketball player. But you take him out of that context, and you are not going to get the same results. It's just not going to happen that way um, because his context defines his effectiveness and his impact. And I think Draymond is the same way. Before this year, Draymond wasn't putting up crazy numbers. He was putting up decent numbers, but he wasn't putting up numbers that are going to tell you he's a max player. But you get a new coach who's using him in a different way, who's utilizing his skill set differently, you put him in a different context, and you get a different result. You know what I mean? There's some guys that come in the league, and no matter what the style of play they're playing, no matter who they're playing with, they're putting up numbers and they're balling right from the jump. You know, Anthony Davis. You know, I think Carl Anthony Towns is going to be a guy like that. Andrew Wiggins. You put them in any context, they have a skill set that is going to translate and it's going to, and it's going to pop. They're going to pop no matter what. Some guys need the right type of situation to pop. You look at even a guy like Chauncey Billups. Chauncey Billups bounced around from team to team to team. You know, he was on three or four teams his first two or three years in the league until he got to Detroit, and then it popped because he got in the right context. You know, so some guys are that kind of a player. That doesn't mean Chauncey Billups was a bum. It doesn't mean Chauncey Billups wasn't a good player. You know, Chauncey Billups was a great player. He needed the right kind of context to be effective, though. 
he needs the right kind of context to max out his skill set. And that's what I think with Draymond. You know, we've gone back and forth about that. I just think he needs the right – he's not a player who you could today throw him on any team in the league and you're going to get the same type of impact. It's just – he's just not that kind of guy. And I actually think Chauncey and Draymond are different than people because I think they're more of of the example of people who develop into that max status. I think once Chauncey got to where he was, he could have been in any space and be an impact. And and that's I think you I think what you say is probably right on point. You know, you and I I, I and I said to you what you said is right on point. I think Max, in today's things, I think you need a big three to win. And however you define your big three, those are your max players. You're going to have a big dog in that big three, but that combination. So, in a a way, if you talk about Pippen, Jordan, and Horace, those are max players in order for you to make your core work. Like, in in your own – I think Max is the eye of the beholder. In terms of what you're trying to do, whatever, however you define your big three, because I do think that the big three is probably the, the, the best scenario for you to create a championship program, then I think that creates your max. With, you know, you, you've always got that guy who's a joke. But I think there's things that Pippen and Horace could do that Jordan couldn't even do. He's great. But they do things that allow you to be champions at an elite level, that would have been different. So that's kind of how I put it. And I think Draymond, the other thing I say about Draymond, it would make him different than a lot of players, is that you all the things you say, you know I told you when we text, it's probably right. I ain't going to disagree with you. All your analytics, the problem with Draymond, he don't believe it. That's why I come with the Dan Johnson. <laughs> he got the eyes of a max player. He interviewed like a max player. He talked like a – like all the people you compare him to, they don't step to the mic like him. They don't step into the game like him. They don't walk like him. They don't talk like him. Everything you say is, I can't even argue. You know I said that. But the problem is he don't believe you. And that's why I get behind him because I can't get behind Kyle. Then I'll think Kyle believe you're the next player. I can't get behind DJ. I'll believe he, I, he think he's a max player. I don't think any of these – I can't get behind Middleton. I don't think he believes he's a max player. But Draymond? Draymond walked like a max, talked like a max. When you talk to him about his contract, he probably think he should have got more. And you might believe he should have got more. That was, is what made Draymond different than all the other people you think. That everything you say about him might be right. And I never argue with you about that. The problem is that he just believes. I believe he walk and talk like he he matched. Right, right, and, right. And 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 that's the that's the one thing that that's the hardest thing from uh, when you're when you're trying to project or, or evaluate a player. That's the hardest thing to do is figure out what drives him. Right, that's why I missed on Anthony Davis. Like, you know, I'm watching him play, but I couldn't see the. I don't, I'm not watching him practice. Right, and when you watch somebody practice, you can get a read on what they're gonna be, because that's where a player is made and how they go about getting better and improving their game and digesting the game and and building their game. You watch somebody practice, then you can you can say, okay, that dude's going. You know, 
my brother played at the University of Wisconsin. So I had the opportunity to, go, to you know, be in their practice facility a few times. And a guy I watched practice, I watched John Lewis. So me and my brothers, we're down on the other end. We're playing a pickup game. And John Lewis is down on the other end, going at it by himself, just going at it, working on post-ups, shooting threes, just working. And so I go, I'm like, who's this? He's like, freshman coming in, you know, kid from Minnesota. So, you know, I filed that away, you know, because I'm like, this dude is putting in work down here, you know. So I'm <laughs> play a couple of years. And, again, I, t- I, probably said, I probably said it on these airways. He's going to be a pro because I saw him work. I saw what he does to get better. Like, he has it, – it's obviously translating to on-court production, so I know he's going to keep working, you know. And that was the one thing I couldn't see about a guy like AD, and that's the one thing you can't really tell about Draymond. You know, Draymond's yeah. gotten better. Um, Draymond's improved. And maybe he does, you know, have that that other piece you know, where he can, his skills can translate across different contexts um, or different contexts. But I think he's in the optimal situation right now. You know, just like I think when Chauncey, you're right, Chauncey was figuring out how to play, but I think when he got to Detroit, he was in the optimal situation to do what he does best. You know, he wasn't being asked to necessarily get 15 assists a game. He was being asked to set other people up, run the team, score when he needed to. He didn't have to be um, the quintessential playmaker. He didn't have to be the pure point guard that, you know, everybody wants a point. He didn't have to be Stockton because he wasn't going to be Stockton. He had that scores mentality, you know. Um, but then he got in a situation where he's playing with a Rasheed, he's playing with a Tayshawn who can do a little bit of creating, he's playing with a Rip Hamilton, and they used him in a way where they didn't ask him to do that. And they asked him to do what he could do best. And they put him in a context where he could just do that. Go get buckets. Um, and hit big shots, and that's what he did, and that's what Drake Mon is being allowed to do in the context of Golden State. You know, he's being allowed to use all of the little tools in his Swiss Army knife. He can pull them all out and use them when they need to be used. You know, and if he's the one or the two, he's gonna have to use some of those tools in the wrong situation, and it may not work out. You know, and that's yeah. going that's gonna affect his efficiency and all those kind of things, and it's gonna make him not look like as great of a player. You know, but I think he's in a perfect situation to be able to do what he does best. Um, and, and that's a blessing for him, you know, and I think that's why he looks as good as he does because everything that Golden State does fits right with his skill set. And it's a beautiful thing when that works out for a player. The same way with DJ, unfortunately, you know, he made a different choice. <laughs> and we'll get into that. So now we're about to get it. Like both of us, our foundation is in education. Like well, that's where we start from, you know. That's at our roots, and so for when we when we are looking at grading NBA franchises, we look at it comprehensively. You know, we have the pleasure of looking at drafts, the drafts that folks have done. Now we got free agency, so what we got with game with game changer is we're going to do what we normally do in our sector. We're going to see the folks who are on the dean's list. These are people who. They drafted, and this is work in free agency that demonstrated they got superiority. Like, they're like ahead of the class. We're going to identify folks who are in good academic standing. These are folks who made some solid moves, and they may be headed towards Dean's list, but we don't know. we got to see how it play out. Then we got some yeah. folks who are on academic probation. <laughs> These are cats. It's on a slippery slope. 
If they stuff don't work out, they can go either way. They can find themselves dropped. And we got to deal with it. Then we got folks who are what we call them, drop list. Anybody who in higher ed would know this drop list. Throughout <laughs> for a year. And these are folks who we might be thinking Seattle might be a good candidate for replacing them because they don't know what the hell they're doing. And so <laughs> <laughs> we don't look at some of these folks. And, you know, Gary Chandler, you know, he's been involved. He's worked with students. He's looking at stuff. He knows how to deal with all these scenarios. And so we're going to take his his background, his understanding of sports and everything else combined with his education to kind of figure out who are on these lists. So game change yes, is grading time. It's grading time. All right. This is where you so what we got this up where I tell you. Legler, you ain't got nothing on him. You know, Stephen <laughs> A., you ain't got nothing on him. Bruce R., I don't even want to say nothing about you. All y'all cats, this is where this man makes his money. Dean's list. Who would you put on the Dean's list? Yeah. So we got – I got three teams for my Dean's list, right? So these teams, they're great in the drafts, effective in free agency, and, you know, they set themselves up for the next couple of years to be in the mix um, as one of the better teams in the league, Right. Or they've done what they needed to do to own this off season in the way they needed to own it, you know. So they they met their objectives, you know what I'm saying. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna win the championship next year if you're on my dean's list. It means your team needed to do a certain few things to continue your growth, and you did those things. You checked all the boxes that you needed to keep growing in a positive direction towards the championship eventually. Obviously, the first team on my dean's list is the San Antonio Spurs. You sign LaMarcus Aldridge. David West is on his way. Um, you re-sign Kawhi Leonard. You max him out. Um, you know, you get Duncan to take less. Ginobili's coming back. They have to do some work to fill out their bench. Um, I had a chance to watch their summer league team today. They have a couple of kids on the summer league possibly help out. But the Spurs are doing something that may be unprecedented in sports, is they're reloading on the fly. They're putting together their next big three while their last big three is phasing out and it's going to be a seamless transition. And if they complete this and they effectively do this, this will be the first time I think any franchise has been able to do such a thing. We're looking at a 20-year run potentially with the Mm -hmm. San Antonio Spurs. If they can make this seamless transition from Parker, Ginobili, Duncan, to Kawhi Leonard, LaMarcus Aldridge, and player to be named later you know, which is what they're setting themselves up to do. Um, very scary thought, right? The Spurs could be good for another 10 to 15 years. Um, so the Spurs are one team. The other team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Minnesota Timberwolves last summer made waves, trading their best player, Kevin Love, and actually getting back equal value, which I think rarely happens in these situations. Usually you wind up, if you trade the best player, you lost the trade. I think this is one particular situation where they actually may have not gotten the best player in the deal at the particular time of the deal, but ultimately won the trade, getting Andrew Wiggins, and then turning around and getting this year's first pick in Car Anthony Towns, who I think is going to be an amazing player. Um, getting him, uh, they've set themselves up with Ricky Rubio, Zach Levine, and the other many young pieces that they have on their roster, they put themselves in a position to be an up-and-coming team, and that's what they needed to do to kind of take that next step and continue their growth. Um, So they have the building blocks 
for their team going forward, which is really what you want to see. Um, the other team I have on my dean's list, the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, bringing back Kevin Love. Um, reportedly, you know, there's a deal on the table for Tristan Thompson. Um, LeBron is going to probably resign. Uh, looks like today announced Mo Williams is coming back home. <laughs> All the pre I'm going to tell you. I, I, I'm glad hey. I'm like, Mo Williams coming home. Right. And if they pull off this deal for Joe Johnson, it's a wrap. Um, that's going to be a ridiculous team to deal with. Um, I, I really, I, I, I don't know. If they get Joe Johnson, um, that is going to be a very, very difficult team to deal with um, going down the stretch. So those are my three Dean's List teams, the Cavs, the Spurs, and then the Minnesota Timberwolves as far as a team that's up and coming um, and made the right move this summer. They didn't overextend themselves. They didn't try to do too much. The Timberwolves, they realized we got the first pick. We're going to get a great player. We know who we are. Let's just get the kid in, in, in the building and, and take care of business. Um, so that's my Dean's list, right? What are your thoughts on that? Yes. You got some good stuff there. Um, I – I would put Milwaukee on there. They're coming up in the next tier. They're coming up in the next tier. I think they still have some work to do. That's why I got them in the next tier. I still think they got some work to do. But tell me why you would have them in the danger. Well, I I think part of it is, you know, I think part of being a great organization is holding on. I mean, they built through the draft knowing who you are. I think what's great about Jason Kidd, I think we'll find out this guy is good and people like playing for him, that they solidified their core. You know, they got, you know, Parker coming back. You know, you know they, they played without him and had a great year. The Middleton contract, you can argue about it, but they, they understand what he can bring to them. Um, and to to be able to get the pieces they need in free agency away from a city like New York, I mean, I think they got all – they got everything they needed for what they needed to go to the next level and at the same time maintaining the growth of that youth movement they have. And I think a lot of people panic in a way that they don't panic. You could, they're clearly feeling like OK City in the way they were operating. And, you know, to go from, you know, an eight seed or whatever to be really being a contender in the off season with your draft picks and everything else, I think I think they're on the D's list just because I think they put everything together. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, in a way, in a city like Milwaukee, you know, they are, right. they are really why people are talking about New York and L.A. You know, they're one of the cities who have really advanced in a way that you didn't expect they would be able to do it. So that's why I thought they were right. going Right. Well, let me go into kind of why I had them in good academic standing in the next tier below. Right. So in this uh, tier, I, I have another. But you, you're the man. So I'm learning. You know, I'm 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 in the seminar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so let me let me give you why I had them in the next tier down. And I got three teams all in the Eastern Conference in this next tier down. First team. Wow. Uh, the Miami Heat. I have them in good academic standing. Locked up D Wade yeah. for a year. At $20 mil a year, I think that's a great move for both parties. Gives D-Wade a chance to play himself into a better deal. Um, I think it gives Miami some flexibility in case D-Wade is broken down. Um, 
you know, so it gives you way some incentives. You know, sometimes it's better to bet on yourself. Ask Jimmy Butler. You feel me? <laughs> you know, so that sets that up. They also played the draft well. Um, again, just the stupidity on other on the part of some other team. And sometimes you just have to do what you're supposed to do in the draft and take the player that everybody else, everybody else in the room outthinks themselves. And Miami Heat lucked into Justice Winslow, who I think was one of the better players in the draft. I had him really high on my list of guys who I'm thinking if they get with the right team, they could be a future star. Justice Winslow was one of those guys, and he happened to fall to number 10. And Miami took him. They didn't outthink it. They didn't, be, you know, they didn't work him out or none of those things, and they didn't let that bother them. So saying this guy's a better player than we thought we were going to get, take him, you know. And I think sometimes you have to be a good good organizations benefit from bad organizations, especially in the draft, you know. So getting a Justice Winslow, re-signing Goran Dragic, getting D Wade in tow, Luau Ding opting in, they're going to be tough. Um, they're going to be a very tough team. They're going to vault themselves into you know, the top four or five teams in the Eastern Conference, if D-Wade is right. If D-Wade is right, you know, they're going to be a very, very tough out when you talk about Whiteside and Bosch as their front line. you got floor spacing. you got a bench with Winslow coming off the bench uh, with uh, Haslam and potentially Chalmers. It's going to be a tough team, right? So they just maintained. They added a young piece. You know, they got flexibility. That's what you want to do. Those are the boxes that they needed to check. They needed to get a little bit younger and maintain their flexibility going forward, and that's what they did. The other team, the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks re-signed Paul Millsap. The thing that they did were very sneaky, low-key moves. The one thing that Atlanta Hawks Hawks were missing, this is a 60-win team, they were missing a rim protector, right? They got Tim Hardaway in the draft they trade, which kind of – helped uh, lessen the blow of losing Damari Carroll, um, who was going to be a tough player to replace for them. But getting Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, is going to help. He's a shooter. Hopefully he can defend. I don't know if he has a def- he's in a position where he's going to get minutes and he's going to help out. The, the low-key move that they made, they got a 7-3 kid coming over who they drafted last year who was playing in Spain, Walter Tavares. He's coming over this year, 23-year-old, seven foot three. If if he can just block shots and protect the rim, that's the one thing that they were missing. Al Horford has never had a chance to play with a legitimate big man in his entire career. The other move that they made, they brought over Tiago Splitter from the San Antonio Spurs. Again, very impactful. The one thing that they lacked was protection at the rim. You can see that in the Cleveland series. You know, it was open season on the basket. Getting those two guys in tow helps a 60-win team cover up a hole um, and hopefully potentially lets them take that next step. Um, and we get to see Al Horford actually play power forward. So I think that's going to, for the first time in his career, I think that's going to be an interesting thing as well as he finally gets into that position where he's going to be able to play more naturally. Um, I think there's going to add a dimension to that team that may not have existed before because he's going to be able to do some things against fours that he couldn't do against fives offensively. Um, So that'll be another interesting piece. And my last team on good academic standings, the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, getting Greg Monroe, adding that offense, that was the one thing that they missed. Um, the reason I don't have them on the Dean's list in just an academic standing is because I still think they need to figure out the shooting piece, um, but they have put together all the pieces necessary to be right in the mix in the Eastern Conference, and they are the young, exciting team in the East, um, that up-and-coming young squad in the East that is the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, and, the, and then the Eastern Conference itself is is coming up. You got Miami that's going to be in the mix as a good team. Atlanta will be back. 
You have the Cavs. The Bulls had a solid, very solid offseason. You got the Bucks throwing their hat in the ring. You got the Raptors and the Wizards who are still going to be in the mix. The East is going to be seven, eight teams deep now, you know. And, you know, a team like the Knicks, if Carmelo is healthy, they can be a, a solid eight seed. So the East is going to be different. You know, things are going to start to level out a little bit um, between the two conferences. You know, Boston's a good up, young up-and-coming team with some players who can still grow and develop. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And Indiana, Indiana's coming back good as well in the East. You know, they're going to be a good team again with Paul George coming back. Um, they moved Roy Hibbert. They're going to be trying to play a different style, um, adding Monte Ellis. So some more scoring punch in the backcourt. Indiana, I think, will be a good team as well. So, you know, that's what we're looking at as far as you know, academic, good academic standing. Now we go to academic probation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Man, this is where this is where we finna get into it. Academic probation. All right. Academic probation. I got the LA Clippers. I got the Los Angeles Clippers on academic probation. Um it's getting tough out there in LA. They lost DJ. Um and it seems like they lost him over some over some uh some silliness. Um because Chris Paul was giving them enough high fives or something of that nature. You know, you have a man who, a young man who is um, the best rebounder in the league, shoots 70% from the field on a team that almost won 60 games last year, and he takes less money <laughs> to go to a team that's worse. So something was wrong. Yeah. Something was amiss with the chemistry in this particular situation, and it may cost Chris Paul um, a potential opportunity at a championship in his career um, as a lead dog. He may be able to pick up one late a la Gary Payton at some point, but right now um, his, his championship hopes are on shaky ground. He and Carmelo both have to kind of take some uh, take some assessment of where they are at their careers and figure out um, what's going to be the next step. Uh, the Clippers are going to have to figure out a different way to play. Um, so we'll see how all of that plays out. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see if they can figure out. Um, how to uh, find that balance um, and go forward in a positive direction with uh, DeAndre Jordan out of the mix. I think that does really hurt that team. Um, Can they rebound and still be a good team? Yes. But I think it makes them a very different team. Um, The other team that I have on academic probation, uh, and they're just going to have to take some steps back um, and and figure some things out. Uh, And that is the Portland Trailblazers, when four of your five starters from last season are playing elsewhere, you just kind of oh, got to yeah. take a step back <laughs> oh, and, and think Good. about it. Now, the reason that they're not on the drop list is because they have done a good job of restocking the cupboard. Um, they've gotten some young guys in. Myers Leonard is the guy who was already in-house. Um, they brought in Noah Vonley, who was a player I like coming out of college. Um you know, so they brought in Gerald Henderson. So they brought in some guys who are uh, bodies to replace guys who are good players. Um, I don't know if they're going to get the same results. This lineup is going to have to kind of come together over time. But um, they lost some very key pieces. They were unable to retain anybody <laughs> of significance, which is just uh, not necessarily what they were hoping for. Um so those are my teams who are on academic probation. 
Then we get to the drop list. I got one squad on my drop list, and they just need to go ahead and move this team. Um, you know, they fought real hard to keep them. And shout-out to Kevin Johnson for, you know, keeping this team in his hometown. But the Sacramento Kings, man, I don't know what y'all are trying to do. I mean, are y'all trying to be the next the next team on hard knocks, or do y'all want uh, a special guest spot on ballers? I don't know you. You know what I mean? Like, you, you first you draft Willie Cauley-Stein, which I didn't understand when Justice Winslow was sitting on the board. You're going to go with a, a, a one-sided center, you know, who plays one end of the floor extremely well, albeit, but he only plays on one. He's only good on one end of the floor. He's very temperamental, quirky personality. You're going to put him next to your other big man who is very temperamental, quirky personality. You have weak you have a coach who's trying to trade your best player behind your owner's back. <laughs> your owner then comes out and says you're going to fire the coach. <laughs> Vadi Divac is in the middle of this smoking cigarettes. <laughs> then no you go out. Up. Right, and then you go out and you sign Rajon Rondo, another temperamental, quirky player, has some, some personality issues and some problems getting along with coaches. And it's like, what are you guys trying to do? Like, are y'all going to get J.R. Smith and Josh Smith as well? Let's just go ahead and go ahead and get this thing popping for real. Like, just bring these guys in and let's just roll with this. Right? We're going to be the dysfunction. We're going to be Jailblazer South. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just go full out. You know, you're talking about Rondo, J.R. Smith, Rudy Gay, Josh Smith, DeMarcus Cousins, and Willie Cauley-Stein, and that's your core. Man, I hope they do sign those guys just for the fun of it. Um, but they on my drop list. They, I don't understand what that organization is doing. I don't understand what direction they're going. Their owner is, seems to be a little out there. Um, they might be, you know, the NBA, other NBA owners might be looking like, man, what are we signing up for? Because this brother doesn't seem to know how to run a squad. So, you know, that's why I'm looking at this, man, is that, you know, Sacramento, they might need to become the uh, Seattle Supersonics. So that's my drop list right there. So that those are the teams that I'm looking at this summer. Um, you know, my dean's list, my good academic standing, my academic probation, and my drop list. Those are the teams I'm looking at, man. Now, given given all that you say, what might you might see in the summer league that might alter some of your opinions about some of this stuff? What what, what about the summer league could alter your opinions? So I'm an avid summer league watcher. You know, those who those who know me know, you know, I'm a basketball junkie to my core. And so it's summer league, and I know most of these guys won't ever suit up, but it's still basketball, so I watch it. <laughs> and I watch it intently. Um, you know, I think there are some, some, some interesting developments in summer league. You know, last year's draft class was touted as a very strong draft class. Um, some, inju- some pre-draft injuries and some post-draft injuries really weakened what we were able to see um, last year. You know, I just watched Dante Exum, um, the kid from Australia who got drafted by mm-hmm. the Utah Jazz, um, just played a great summer league game. Looks like he has kind of filled in some of the gaps with uh, with his game, developing a jump shot, becoming more aggressive, becoming more physical when he attacks the basket. He was doing some of those things tonight. Um, another guy who was drafted last year, Aaron Gordon, for the Orlando Magic, taking number four. Um, was a guy who was kind of a tweener, a six eight. Not sure if he was a power forward. Not sure if he was a shoot, small forward. Um, showing a great handle, showing good passing ability, jump shots improved. 
Um, so he's showing well in the summer league. So you're looking for guys like that who had a ton of potential, and what you want to see is evidence of improvement, you know, with some of these guys. That's all you're really looking for. They played in the league, so they're supposed to dominate. Nobody's nobody's not un, not expecting that. They should be playing well, but are they dominating and making it look effortless? Are they dominating and doing things that they couldn't do? That's what you want to see out of the summer league from some of these guys. So that's that's really what you're looking at when I'm watching summer league. I'm looking at the development of guys who were taken in the last couple of drafts because those are the guys that are going to take a team like a Milwaukee a year ago who were a 15-win team and catapult them to a 41-win team. So you're looking at a team like the Orlando Magic. If Aaron Gordon comes out and maybe he develops into that lead dog that they need, then, you know, that takes that young group of players and puts them in a position where they might be competing for AC, you know, and then they become a hot destination the next summer when they have max cap space for another big free agent a lot of the Milwaukee Bucks, you know. So that's what I'm looking at in summer league. You see those kind of, you see those kind of patterns and trends developing over time. The Boston Celtics are another team like that. You know, Marcus Smart, his development, what is he going to look like? A guy like that who, again, was expected to be a, a, an impact player, you know, is he is he still on that trajectory? And if he is, what does that mean for that franchise? And where could that put that franchise in a year, two years? So that's what I look at when I watch summer league. Is I'm watching these young guys and seeing how they develop and and where how their development will impact their current team and the growth of that team. You know, those are some guys. And then the whole Philly experiment, the Philadelphia experiment. Man, I thought about giving them. I thought about giving them uh, putting them on my drop list. I really thought about putting the Hinky squad on my drop list, but I chose not to simply because I don't know what I would have done differently given the way the draft shook out. You know, the Lakers took D'Angelo Russell. you got to take Okafor. <laughs> I mean, you just do, and you figure it out later. But he was the best player on the board. And this is what I want to go on record as saying. I want to go on record as saying this because I think a lot of people give Okafor a bad rap because of how he plays the game and he's a post and he's a traditional post. Listen, for all the analytic guys out there, and I'm 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 sixty percent an analytic guy, forty percent an eyeball test guy. For all the analytic cats out there, the the whole point of analytics and at the core of it is to get the easiest shot possible. Right? And to play the percentages. So you either want a shot as close to the basket as possible or a three. What is better than a post-up for a shot close to the basket? Yeah. I think the pick and roll is just a substitute for that. Now, the thing that yeah. has the thing that has hindered post-play is we don't have bigs who have been developed to play this style, right? Back to the basket bigs who have been developed to play this style because in order to be an effective analytics-type big in this space-and-pace type game, passer, because you get the same effect with a pick and roll with a post-up. If they got a double. Because yep. yep. the whole point is get two guard one and move the ball out of it, right? So yep. Okafor is an amazing passer for a big man. And that's going to be the thing where he cracks the mold and he sets up a new paradigm for how you play in the post, mm. in the space and pace. You can still play the space and pace because he draws a double and he will pass out of it in the same way James Harden comes off a of pick and roll and can pass out of that pick and roll and create threes for other players. You know, so Okafor is different in that way. Dwight Howard is not a good passer. 
when you think about the bigs of the last 10 to 15 years that have come up, young guys, they haven't been great passers, you know. But a guy like Mark Gasol, he works in this, you know. A guy like Paul Gasol works in this era because he can pass. They've been effective because they can pass. So I think that's where Okafor has a lot of value. Um, so I think he's going to be a very, very, very good player in the league. Um, and anybody that says otherwise, I think is drunk. As we move to the close, I want to get a preview. Cause I, I, and, and, and I'm saying you to do this, but I know you guys still go do some more research. But I know you are even thinking about this, so that's why I put it on there. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. As you start to think about it, there's a couple of different things I want you to comment on. One is your early setup for the playoff teams you think on each conference. And then who are these players with all this movement who are like, you know, there are always people who come on our scene. Like I think uh, Atlanta created that. Uh, Golden State created where these guys who make the all-star team who we haven't even thought about, right? Right. <clears throat> who do you think with some of this movement are positioned to start breaking through that mold to to really be part of that all-star conversation? Um, and then I think I think what are you most excited about given all you're looking out as you start to look at 2015-16 season? Got it. Got it. So my all so guys, I think you know we haven't thought about as all stars that, you know, may break through. Um, as I'm going through, you know, a Bradley Beal, um, he's a guy that I, I thought has been a solid player. Injuries have kind of uh, hampered his effectiveness over the last couple of years. But I think Brad Beal is going to be set up to be a, to break through and possibly become an all-star next year. If he can come into the season healthy, play his full season, um, I think – that's a guy that we could see breakthrough as an all-star. Obviously, Greg Monroe, I think, is going to be in position to put himself in the all-star conversation as a center. Uh, he's going to be on a really good team, um, and he's going to be asked to carry an offensive load um, and, and, and do some rebounding, which are all things he's capable of doing. So those are some guys in the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, some guys that I think you know may unexpectedly – step up and we may see them become all-stars. Um, Brandon Knight or Eric Bledsoe, either one of those guys out of the Phoenix backcourt. Um, I think Phoenix um, is a low-key uh, contender for the eight, for an 8 seed spot, for a playoff spot with Portland dropping out, with Dallas um, potentially still having some holes to fill within their roster. Um, I think those are some guys who could sneak into a playoff spot. Another guy, super low-key, um, Two teammates, uh, Utah Jazz, uh, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Um, strong front line. Gobert's a shot-blocking machine. You know, he's the type of guy who may make it to an all-star game off of some analytics, defensive efficiency, defensive rating type stuff. <laughs> he might make an all-star game <laughs> off that. So he's a guy that may come out of somewhere, you know, second half of the season. He was a, he was a tremendous impact on that team. They were playing um, top three defense in the league. Um, and Gobert and Favors were at the core of that. Favors is a guy who, so far at this point in his career, is a 16 and 8, 16 and 9 guy. If he can ramp that up and get close to that 20 and 10, you know, he may be a guy. The Western Conference is really tough for power forwards, but he may be a guy who could crack, you know, the all-star game um, and kind of take that next step. So, and obviously somebody like Andrew Wiggins, um, who was a year under his belt, 
Um, he has the potential to be an electric player um, with a healthy Ricky Rubio um, and, and a healthy squad around him um, and Carl Anthony Towns. And so um, we'll see what they can do out in Minnesota, but he may be also in position to kind of take another step, become a, a 23, 22-point scorer um, in the league in the next year. Okay. So when you think about the conference rankings, do you have a sense of who you think – is there going to be any shuffle or are there any people who are not, who didn't make that, 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 yeah, that, gonna be that playoff? That you think as, be? as of right now, obviously this is super early, right? This is extra early. Um, and obviously all the, all, all the information say, is I'm giving, you, I'm giving you the ability when we get to our NBA preseason that you can change it because you have more information. So we're, oh, yeah, we're, we're, going real, we're going real kind of forward thinking right now. Absolutely. So as I'm seeing this and as I'm projecting forward in the Eastern Conference, my number one team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, my number two, uh, the Chicago Bulls. Number three, the Atlanta Hawks. Number four, the Miami Heat. Number five, the Milwaukee Bucks. Number six, the Indiana Pacers. Number seven, the Washington Wizards. Number eight, the Toronto Raptors. So from this year's playoffs, I got the Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets sliding out of this year's playoffs. I got Milwaukee taking a big jump. Um, I don't really count um, the Wizards and Raptors as necessarily going backwards. I think the rest of the league in the East, the rest of the conference is just going to take a jump. Um, We talk about the the jump that the Heat will make, the Pacers will make with good health, um, and then the jump that the Bucks will make. I think those teams will leap over the Wizards and the Raptors, who I think benefited from those teams being mediocre last year because of injuries. Um, when we move out west, uh, I got Golden State number one. Golden State is still my favorite, despite the moves that Cleveland and San Antonio have made. And the reason I say that is because when I think of a favorite, and again, I'm a little different how I kind of conceptualize this stuff. When I think of a favorite, I really think that the favorite is the team that on a nightly basis has a bullseye on their back. In the Eastern Conference, the Cavs will have a bullseye on their back, so they're the favorite in the East. So I think night in, night out, they're going to get everybody's best shot. I think in the West, that team is going to be Golden State because they're the champs. And people night in and night out are going to have their eyes set on Golden State, Golden State, Golden State. People are not going to be talking about in the preseason when teams break camp, they're not going to be talking about we need to, we're chasing the San Antonio Spurs. They're going to be talking about we're chasing the Golden State Warriors. So to me, the people that play the game, who are they looking at? That's the favorite. And they're looking at the Warriors in the West, and in the East they're looking at the Cavs. You know, so those are – the Warriors are my one seed in the West. My two seed is San Antonio. Uh, my three seed, Memphis. Four seed, Oklahoma City getting back in the mix. My five, Houston. My six, the Clippers. Now, seven and eight, my seven is going to be the Pelicans. Eight, I'm not sold on Dallas. It's Dallas, Phoenix, Utah right now. Um, And I'm not sure which of those teams. Dallas still has to get a point guard. Again, I don't think DJ is effective without a point. I think he's going to realize that. You know, he's not playing with one of the best passers of this era anymore. I think he's going to realize how difficult that is. Um, 
Phoenix is up and coming. I, I love the addition of Tyson Chandler to what they're trying to do. Um, you know, I think he gives them something that they haven't had. Also, he gives them a mentor for Alex Lynn, who's a young big that they have who can potentially be that rim protector, a la Tyson Chandler, that role, that uh, role man on the pick and roll. Um, and then they have the two quick guards in Bledsoe and Knight, which is the style that they want to play. And then Utah, again, I just watched Dante Exum. looks really good. Uh, they already have Gordon Hayward, who's playing at a high level. The big man I talked about, you know, they got Derek Favors and the Stifle Tower um, and Rudy Gobert. So they could be another team that's jumping up um, after a very solid season last year and getting themselves into the playoffs. So of those three teams, you know, there's still some questions. You know, two of the teams are young up-and-coming teams, and then Dallas has retooled on the fly, adding my man Wes Matthews, uh, Madison Products, and then also adding DeAndre Jordan. I just don't know who's pulling the trigger at the point guard spot. If they get their hands on a tight loss, and then all bets are off with Dallas. That becomes a really tough team to deal with. They get a guy like Ty Lawson. Um, but until that happens, um, I got them slotted in with those other two teams as eight seeds in the West. So that's my top 16 going into the next season, man. And, and, and you didn't mention, and, and probably because I'm a little biased, I thought I may have missed it, is Detroit. And I think they being sneaky. And I think part of losing Monroe might be might allow them to get people in a natural position. Um, and, you know, their coach has coached enough teams to playoffs. I'm talking about yeah. championship. Yeah. But I, I yeah. think I'm feeling like Detroit, um, and everybody debated about the pick, for what they needed in a fit. Now, I, I would have, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I would have I got my, 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 my guy who went to the Heat. I would have gone with him. But, but what they went with, Johnson. I mean, the cat won four high school championships. He would leave. Yeah, I'm not mad at that pick. Yeah, I'm not mad at that and, pick at all. I would have taken Winslow, right but I'm not them. mad at them picking Stanley Johnson. Yeah, I think I think Johnson's right for them, and yeah. gives them almost that not with that bad boy piece, but getting back to who they are as a Detroit organization. And I think Detroit might be, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the hunt for the eighth spot. And so that that might be one that's in there. But I think the East is definitely – the East took a jump this year. Yes, yes. Out. It's yeah, starting yeah, to even out. The balance is starting to even up a little bit. The East isn't going to be the JV League as much as they have been in the past. The thing that I'll say about yeah. Detroit is that um, it was – I like Detroit and I like what they're doing. I think they're a couple years away um, because they're in the Central. And the Central Division is loaded. I mean, you got Cleveland, you got Chicago, you got Milwaukee, you got Indiana, and then you got Detroit. So I think they're just going to have a hard time in division holding their own, similar to what the Pelicans had to deal with in the in the um, in the Southwestern Conference, uh, Southwestern Division out west last year, where yeah. where the whole division made the playoffs. You know what I mean? And yeah. the Pelicans were kind of the upstart. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit is in the mix. I'm not. I, I don't think they're that far off. I just think they, they, there's going to be some gelling that's going to have to take place where they're going to be competing regularly against some teams who have who have been there. Even Milwaukee has got to the, gotten a, a year of playoff basketball under their belt, and I think that's going to be to their benefit. Um, you know, so I think and, and Indiana obviously is a team that has the, – the core of that team has been deep into the playoffs in Chicago 
and, and Cleveland. So I think those teams are kind of kind of beat up on Detroit a little bit, but Detroit is going to start to cut their teeth and, and, and build up their chops over the next couple of years, taking their lumps from some of these teams. And in a year or two, you're going to see that Detroit nucleus start to mature and start to kind of come into its own. And, and the, the team that I question a little bit is Chicago. I think the I think the Butler Rose thing is real, and I you know I you know I won a little bit on not betting on Iowa State. I ain't <laughs> sure the coach that they took me, but but boy, we we had this great. I started to cast the night, you know, out in the streets. And, and my guy, you know, my boy Mo, my Mo said, Mo said, he, he said that 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 the management for the Bulls, if you think about it, Paxson, Paxson's a made man. And so at the end of the day, you know, he's the cat that let Aldridge go, Chandler go. You know, he's the cat, you know, but nobody know about him. But now it's all about the coach who got you to all these finals with all these injuries, and then you bring this cat in, I think they might take a step back. Now, I know you're a Chicago cat. You support your Bulls. But I think they might take a step back. The reason why I think about the Pistons might take a step forward is I think the, I think the Pacers got a little growing pains going. And, but I also think the Bulls might take a step back. Cause I think that transition of Thibodeau out, is being underplayed, and I think the whole Butler thing, I think it's real. Because Butler is clearly, for me, the stable dog. It's almost like a football team was back when they had the cat from, uh, uh, was it from Nebraska, was the safety that played for the uh, Bears, and they held on strong to him. He kept getting injured. I don't know if he was Nebraska. But they got that, they, they hang in there so long. What do you think about that? That's the part that's kind of making – like, Paxson's made. He's a made man, man. Yeah, yeah, Paxson's Pax is, is good to go. But, you know, I think I think there's something to be said about a new voice in the locker room, um, especially after a grinder coach. Um, and, you know, Hoiberg, I, I don't know what to think of him yet. Um, I got to see him coach and see what he does. But by all accounts, he he addresses their deficiencies, which has been their ability to effectively sc- – because, honestly, the Bulls shouldn't have a, that hard of a time scoring. They really shouldn't. You yeah. have a post in Noah who you can run the offense through. You have, you know, Jimmy Butler. You had Luau Dang, who was a solid offensive player. Um, you had guys who could create. Um, so it shouldn't have been that difficult for the for that team to generate points. Um, you add in a Pau Gasol, and again, I think if Pau Gasol is healthy, I actually think they beat Cleveland. Um, I think Gasol going out, you know, that that's one piece of that whole puzzle that gets overlooked is that they lost an All NBA player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Pau Gasol during that series for some very pivotal games. Um, in, in the series, it looked like they had an opportunity to win um, until he went out. Um, and, you know, any other team loses their all their all NBA player and all NBA performer, and they don't have LeBron James on the team, they're pretty much sunk, you know. Um, so I think, I think that team is still very, very good. 
Um, I think it's going to take a very, very poor coaching job to mess it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's that's a team that you got Gasol, you got Noah, you got Butler, you got Rose, who have all been all-stars um, before. Um, you got some decent pieces with Dunleavy and Taj Gibson and Miritich. And if you get anything from Doug McDermott, I like Bobby Portis. I actually hope that the Bucks would take him because um, I thought he was a great fit for their front line. Um, you know, I think that's the one thing Paxson has done a good job of is finding guys who can become impact players in the later rounds, which I think is, again, the difference between good organizations and bad organizations. Um, in in the in a, Down in the first round of a draft, finding a good player. Um, you know, I don't know what the, what little guard they'll resurrect next year. If Brooks is coming back or not, I haven't heard. Um, but they'll find a backup point guard. Uh, Heinrich is coming back. So, you know, they have all of the pieces in place of the same team that was there. Again, Hoiberg is going to have to come in and really F it all up for them not to be as good or better, uh, especially if Rose is starting to regain some of his old form, which it looked like he was in the playoffs. Um, Hoiberg is going to really have to come in and just throw gasoline on this whole situation. Um, for it to really go bad, you know, I think it's one of those situations where it's too it's too hard to mess up. You know what I mean? Like you have to be totally inept to mess this up. And I don't know if Hoiberg he may not be great, but I don't know if he's that incapable um, because it's going to take some real magic to mess up the situation in Chicago. Well, we um, you know, one of my one of my favorite albums is the DLC. You know, no one can do it better. But the grand finale, if you ever had a chance to, you know, I know Street of Compton is going to be coming out in August. But when people talk about Dre's best albums, one of his best albums, I think, most underrated, is what DLC did. And DLC wrote a lot of the stuff around Chronic. But the grand finale is great in that ability to kind of close out. And so we're going to give you this moment. It's kind of our grand finale, last word your opportunity to drop the mic. I'm going to let you sum this whole thing up. I think this has been an incredible podcast. This is realsportsguys.com. This is one mic. This is in addition. You know, when we do the mothership, that's what we got the great – we got Phil T, Game Changer, myself, and others coming in. But this is one mic where we get a chance to feature some of our guys. And, and if, if you are NFL, if you're an NBA junkie, you listen to this podcast, this is gold. I don't care what else you're looking on here. This is gold. So we're going to give you a chance to drop the mic, my man. Do what you need to do. Well, let's do it, man. Um, through all of this, man, it's been a very fun couple of weeks from the draft up through free agency. I've enjoyed it all as a basketball fan. Um, I love the process of putting together teams and, and, and watching, you know, how GMs and and player personnel people kind of put teams together and then waiting till October, November to see those teams, those final products on the court. It's all a fantastic process to me, man. And I'm enthralled by it. I enjoy it a lot. Um, you know, this off season in particular has been one that has been very exciting. Um, things haven't gone the way they were supposed to go in some situations. And that's a part of the game. And that's what we love. And that's why we keep coming back to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to next season. Um, I think it's going to be a great season. Again, the East is rising. 
the West is is still going to be a melee. Um, it's still going to be extremely tough to come out of the West. And so I'm extremely excited, man. I'm happy for all these young brothers getting this money and being able to provide a, a life uh, for the families just don't wind up on broke too. All right. Um, you know, it's been a great time with my man D. Will giving me this platform. I'm watching summer league highlights. It's the summertime. I get to spend time with my family and my kids, uh, working with my basketball players. So it's just, this is just, I'm kicking back and in basketball heaven right now. So, um, you know, that's the game changer sign off, man. That's my mic drop, man. I, I got no bridges to burn right now. I got no crosses to bear. So it is what it is, man. That's my uh that's my last call, Kanye style, you know what I'm saying? You know, that's my final that's that's my note to self, a la J. Cole. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is what so. I'm talking about. This is what makes one mic a look. We're going to expand. I'm in the lab. I've been in it. This is what we're talking about. We're going to have more of this. We 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 got some stuff planned. The game changer, you know, this cat is like, uh, he got LeBron skills. He got magic. He's like a culmination of all these great players in this sports radio game, baby. It's been good to have you here tonight dropping this science. And thank you for the last word to drop. Hey, y'all, until next time, we love you all. Check it out. Our podcast will be coming here soon with the big the big show. But uh, for right now, we're going to sign off one mic. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.